our purpose as a church. We've been into this now for several weeks. And tonight I want to give you our eighth principle, which is team ministry. And this Bible study is coming at a great time, especially in light of what's happened here, not only this past Sunday, but in the past few Sundays we've had, uh, several Sundays ago, we've had a similar move of God. I want to read today, tonight from Acts chapter 6, verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in daily ministration. And the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It was actually Moses at the instruction of his father-in-law in the Old Testament, that established uh, this style of ministry. When there's too many people for one or even two ministers to minister to, uh, it's important that, that the leadership, the pastor, um, establish people, train people, what have you, that can serve in this role. The Bible said the church started murmuring. They started complaining about it. The word mum, murmur actually means to mutter or grumble in a low undertone. It's what people do during a business meeting that I, I discourage. They'll mumble about something and you don't hear what they're saying. And, and, and sometimes they're complaining about some money that was spent somewhere or whatever. But that's what murmuring is. And there were actually seven murmurings in the Bible that was recorded against the nation of Israel. They murmured concerning the way that they were traveling from Egypt to their promised land. They murmured about that. They murmured over food. They murmured over the giants that were in the land of Canaan. They murmured about their leaders when they complained against Moses and Aaron. They murmured concerning the desert. They murmured concerning manna again. So Paul said in the New Testament, no doubt after being made aware of these seven times the Bible records that the nation of Israel murmured, he said, neither murmur ye, do not murmur in 1 Corinthians 10.10. 10. And in Philippians, he repeated it. He said, do all things without murmuring or complaining. That's a heavy cross to bear right there, ain't it? If you don't believe it, just ask me. Uh, we have a tendency to murmur and complain about a lot of things. But the problem in the book of Acts, to get to the point of this Bible study tonight, was that there was too much work for the pastors of those churches to do alone. So God gave them a solution. And I want everybody to listen. I'm going to teach you Bible tonight. Forget tradition. I'm going to teach you Bible. God's solution was to appoint deacons. Everybody say deacons. A deacon is someone, the definition of the word is someone that is a servant, one that is called to serve, to wait on people, or to attend people. A deacon is not a self-righteous, sophisticated board member that wants to try to run the church. 
Did I say that clearly enough or did I need to say that again? That's why we don't have deacons here. Tradition has destroyed that position, that, that title. Our traditions have destroyed it. Pastors through the years have chosen seven men in their church, and usually they're appointed or, or uh, nominated in a business meeting and voted on by the church to be deacons, and there's seven of them, and they've, become, they've evolved into church boards that mainly oppose the pastor generally on everything he wants to do, this visionary or what have you. Uh, I'm being very sarcastic and cynical in my definition of that, and I'm sure there are great deacons and, and great churches. But across the board, in most denominations, the word deacon is a man of authority, and that is not what the original biblical intent of deacons were. These men were to be of honest report. That means having a good testimony inside the church and outside of the church. To be full of the Holy Ghost, meaning they had to have a real, legitimate, relevant relationship with God. And they had to be full of wisdom, that is, having the necessary, necessary skills for that job. So they, they were not politically appointed. They were not a deacon because their mom and dad were influential people years ago in the church. They were not appointed to be a deacon because they had money. This was the resume, the biblical resume for a deacon. So the word deacon does not refer to an official church board position, but to a ministry role in the church. Based on my understanding of Scripture and what I've just shared with you, the four men that sit over here are more qualified to be deacons. That would be the more true role of a deacon than four or seven men that would sit in my office as a church board. This is what they're supposed to do, not the other. And that's why we have a trustee board at Grace Church, which is required by law, and I'm, I'm good with that. And I have a ministry team. And the ministry team is more applicable to this role of deacon than a trustee or a church board member, etc. All right, watch this. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for, everybody say for, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the work of the ministry, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Man unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The for, the, the word for that I asked you to repeat actually equals so that. So you could say that God gave the church apostles, prophets, and so on, so that the saints could be perfected, so that the work of the ministry could be done, and so that the body of Christ could be edified. This is not a threefold job description of the fivefold ministry, but rather God's plan for team ministry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible said, Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. You, you. I had an uncle, I have to share this with you, loved him to death. Um, he was by far one of my favorite uncles. And he was a minister of another denomination, and he never pastored, uh, never really had much of a ministry. In his latter years, he would preach a little bit in nursing homes. And, and so when he would have his service, they would roll in, you know, 15, 20 people. Uh, most of them were rolled into wheelchairs. Very few came volunteer. <laughs> 
if you were in a wheelchair and you were kind of out of it and slobber running down your cheek and all that kind of stuff, you didn't know you was in the room anyway, so they just rolled you in there. And uh, so it gave him an audience. And uh, I'm not being facetious. This It's a true story. And he would get up there in his very authoritative ministerial role as the nursing home Sunday afternoon, 2 o'clock pastor for 30 minutes. And he would say, and you. need a real relationship with Jesus he was hilarious and the poor guy over here thought he was being singled out when bottom line all my uncle was doing was just pushing up his glasses that's all he was doing with his finger okay the Bible says now you are the body of Christ and members in particular and God has set some in the church God has set some in the church First apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers. After that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all, all interpret? What Paul was saying here, and one of Paul's writing styles, was to use rhetorical questions that would imply a negative answer. So are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do all have the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. So that was his writing style. For example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 3, For what if some did not believe, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? No. In Romans 6, 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, that was his writing style. Okay, back to the point. Implication number one he gave to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that not everybody is apostle. Not everybody's a prophet, not everybody's a teacher, not everybody's a worker of miracle, and so on. Implication number two, since helps and governments are accepted, it follows that anyone can have them. What happened to what Paul was teaching here? And I hope everybody's listening because this is so applicable to Grace Church right now. What happened to this principle and instruction that Paul presented in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 was virtually destroyed by a man named Nicholas during the Dark Ages. A distinction was made by, by Nicholas between clergy and laity. It was a trick of Satan to reduce and confine ministry. Nicholas, who was one of the original deacons in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, was not content having a ministry, but wanted to have a role of pastoral authority. The few of you that may have read my book, I make a very clear distinction between being called to a ministry and being called to the ministry. It's a huge difference. And this principle that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians 12 is most in part of what I use for a basis for that concept. But Nicholas was one of the original, one of the seven original deacons in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, but he was not content with having a ministry, but he wanted to be the pastor. I'll be honest with you tonight, uh, I've preached in 26 states, um, 
evangelized for three and a half years, I've been in enough churches where it was very apparent that the pastor of that church was not called to the ministry. He was called to an A, a ministry. I always felt like he had been a great assistant pastor or he had been a great ministry team person, but he was not pastor. You could tell by his demeanor in the pulpit. You could tell by the way he worked with his people. Um, there was not a lot of unity in those churches. There was not a lot of vision in those churches. It was just a man hungry for the suit and tie and the authority that came with that that he was hungry for. So Nicholas began teaching that there was a difference between ministry and laity in a different, and, and, and the uh, pastoral ministry or pulpit ministry. His teaching exalted pastors to a higher measure than what they should have been exalted to and reduced the laity to a lesser role than what they should have been uh, placed in. So it changed the overall effectiveness of the church drastically. The heartbreak over this is as the church evolved through beginning around 1600, 1700 A.D. and so on, as people ministry, the ministry, for the most part, never got away from the Nicholas principle. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 2, verse 15, he said, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. This is the doctrine of Nicholas, of what I just said to you. He said, There's too many of you that hold on to that, which thing I hate. And he was saying this to the church at Pergamos. In reality, folks, and we teach this here at Grace Church. We pound this here at Grace Church. And everybody that comes to Grace Church, if I can get my hands on them, figuratively speaking, and talk to them for a few minutes, I will tell them, we want you to feel value and purpose at Grace Church. We want you to have a role. We want you to serve a purpose. And when you walk in the door, I want you to know what that purpose is. I want you to feel value here. It bothers me when people just come and sit on the chair and they don't contribute to the church in any way. God has given to every man and woman some degree of gifting to be used in the kingdom of God first. And it's especially grieving when you use your gifting on the job, but you refuse to use it in church. God gave you that gifting to use for the kingdom first. Every member of the church has a ministry. There is something you can do. And it's almost like Paul, almost like he corrected himself. When he gave to us the verses about the five-fold ministry uh, that we all talk about, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and so on, he came back later and said that this applies to the people in the church. And in addition to that, there's helps and there's governments. I'm going to come to those two words in a minute, that there's helps and there's governments. I want to encourage everybody that saints... According to the book of Acts record, the saints are the ministers and the pastors are the administrators. That was the Acts chapter 6 pattern that the apostles set up in the church when the church outgrew their ability to handle everything by themselves. So they appointed deacons or ministers to help them minister to the church. Well, Paul built on that later on in Corinthians when he taught the church at Corinth and said, everybody, it's not just the pastor and the seven deacons. Everybody has a ministry in the church. So he kept expanding it. Does everybody understand what I'm saying here tonight? 
So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, Paul said, But all these work that one and that same self-spirit, dividing to every man, severally as he will. Every man. Everybody. Now, I understand everybody can't be the piano player, and everybody can't be a singer, and everybody can't be the drummer, and all that kind of stuff. And God designed it that way. I'm thankful tonight, and I'm proud that Jarrett Powers is on our ushering team. He contributes. He has a purpose. He has value. I appreciate that. I'm thankful that Sister Melanie uh, is our our prayer coordinator and handles Tuesday morning prayer. I'm thankful for that. Does she get a lot of limelight up here behind this pulpit? No, she doesn't. But she serves an incredible role in this church. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Everybody has a role or function. If you don't have one here at Grace Church, that's on you. Every member has gifts. Every member, according to Jesus in Matthew 20, 25, has at least one. There's at least one thing that everyone can contribute to the kingdom, whether it's in church or outside the church. So depending on their God-given ability, every member can exercise either the gift of helps or governments in some way. So what is the gift of helps? I'm glad you asked. I'd like to use the word support. Paul called it the gifts of help. I'll call it support. The Greek word, it means to participate or support, not an official capacity or title, but nonetheless you participate and you are supportive. Not necessarily supernatural gifts, but rather natural gifts that were given to you and sanctified by the power of God in the life that God gave to you at birth. God uses the natural to be a blessing, thus bringing the supernatural benefit. Don't misunderstand. The things that happened here Sunday morning, that sovereign move of God we had that was just awesomely amazing, it happened because there were a lot of natural things in play at Grace Church long before that moment came. We had our amazing lobby staff out in the front doing what they do. We had Sunday school teachers doing what they do. We had people laboring and preparing and getting hearts and minds ready for that move of God. Yes, they were being used in their natural gifts. Brother Ben, I believe, uh, is teaching the adult class right now. He was using natural ability. He's a very intelligent man, and he's a great teacher. He's a great communicator. And so God used that gift Sunday morning in the adult class. I don't know who taught next. Was it Jason? Somebody answer me. Jason? Okay. Another one. Great communicator. I don't know that y'all were running the aisles and dancing and shouting and giving messages in tongues. But he was preparing you for what was going to happen over here. Do y'all get that? All of our Sunday school teachers, the kids, everybody was preparing the church's mind, and they were doing it through their natural ability. It is right. As much as Jesus used loaves and fish to perform one of the most prolific words in the uh, works of miracles in the Bible, we're blown away by that miracle. But what did he use to do it with? Dead fish and probably stale bread, if the truth is known. 
So God uses the natural to be a blessing. And we need to understand that. People say, well, I can't be using the gifts of the Spirit. God's not asking you to be using the gifts of the Spirit. But he gave you gifts when you were born. Marty is incredibly involved at Grace Church. You never see him behind the pulpit. Maybe one day you will. But God has given the man some tremendous gifting that we've used all over this building. So it is appropriate and it's done well and it's done right when you come to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. Y'all get me? I can spend a lot of time on this point because I believe it. I believe it. We have people engaged here at Grace Church that did nothing in their former church. Because they weren't a preacher. Because they didn't have one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. And it's, I believe, we misunderstand what the Bible teaches. God wants you to come in, be a part of the church, be a part of the kingdom, and use the gift that he gave you. So, some gifts of God can be the development of a natural capacity. All the people who work in a volunteer capacity to help the people of God. Uh, we had an incident several Sundays ago where our, our good Samaritans were engaged. They did an amazing job, man. They weren't speaking in tongues and hooping and hollering. They were ministering first aid to the best of their ability. Until paramedics got here, most of you didn't even know it happened. But they're using their natural abilities in the kingdom. So yes, these helps were thought worthy to be mentioned with apostles, prophets, and teachers. I want everybody to understand that. Cindy, the Good Samaritans, rank right up there with apostles, prophets, and teachers according to the Word of God. It does. I'm not blowing smoke here tonight. Go home and read it yourself. God has established the church to have in it helps and governments to keep it mobile, to keep it moving forward, etc. So helps today in the church can be Sunday school. I love our Sunday school teachers. Our Wednesday night kids staff, you folks do an amazing job. Our production booth, our music ministry, children's ministry, ushers, greeters, everybody. You make it, and we've, we've made as we, we have close to 20 serve teams here at Grace Church. Small groups, ladies' groups. Uh, hopefully, one day here in the near future, we'll get men's ministry launched again, and I'm excited about that. But we want to create opportunities where people actually, we want people to come, and when you have gifting that's legitimate and appropriate for where our church is at, we want to build on that. And we have taken people and have literally created a serve team around you. I'll be honest with you. I had to chuckle when Sister Renita said, I know how to knit or crochet, whatever it is. And I'm going to do a knitting class. Is that what it is? A knitting class? I can't. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, I had to chuckle a little bit. But I was amazed at how many people are interested in that. Well, it's, it's become now something else that the church can do. Lori Blunt just knitted knitted a beautiful afghan for me personally that i'll keep in my office it's a blessing to me every time i see it don't diminish what you can do i want to tell you something else about gifting is if you're raised as i was a child of very low self-esteem you will think your gifting is nothing and there's a lot of people here tonight that is infected with the low self-esteem disease like I am and so you think you're nothing and you can contribute nothing and that is a, a lie the devil will capitalize on until you die 
and he will rob you of ministry opportunities, of things you can do. There may be a sin in your past or your mom and daddy might have been ugly and something else might have been ugly or whatever and you feel ashamed and embarrassed but the bible said there's therefore now no condemnation to them who are in christ jesus and he who the son sets free is free indeed and we need to understand that tonight so that is the gifts of support and help and i have appointed a ministry team and i'm thankful and i'm i'm proud in a, a a godly way I'm proud of these four men, and I've called on them uh, on several occasions to, to help me in a pinch. Uh, called Brother Wheeler today, as a matter of fact, or texted him uh, to help me with something tomorrow, and he very rarely said, absolutely, I can do that, and I've done that with the others, and I, I, I love and appreciate these men, and they serve a role, and they serve a purpose. They baptize people, and uh, they teach and preach, and and what have you, they, they contribute. And I'm thankful for them, for all of them. And they do a great job. But these are, these are men that are willing to serve and take their gifting and their calling to that level. Well, your gifting may not get you a chair up here. But that doesn't mean that your calling is of no value. The fellows that sit back there, the people that sit back there in that production booth, we couldn't do church without them. If the power went off in our Baker building, I could shout loud enough that people could hear me. But uh, that might be a little bit of a problem here. We, we need the sound system, right? Whether you think it's too loud or not, if we didn't have one, you'd all be straining to hear. Um, maybe not me, but other people in the pulpit. But anyway, we'll talk about that another time. But our live stream is huge. We get comments almost weekly about how thankful people are for live stream. It's become a very incredible part of our ministry. I love the screens because you remember more of what you see than what you hear. And that's why we have three of them up there. So you can remember three times better. If you don't get it on one, you can get it on the other one. Uh, we, want, we want this in front of your face all the time. That's the point. But I'm thankful for our production booth people. They do an amazing job. So these are all helps, and it serves a role, and it serves a purpose, and I hope everybody understands that. So then what is the gift of government? Where I call helps support, I'll call government direction. It's to steer or direct is the meaning of the word in the Scripture. Paul was familiar with the sea and ships. Uh, He had been shipwrecked three times, said that Hymenaeus and Alexander had made shipwreck concerning the faith He used many analogies like this one that were applied to ships of the day which were steered by many but under the leadership of one. There were a lot of people that rowed the boat. There were a lot of people that would turn the sails, but there's only one at the rudder. This word can refer to deacons, elders, etc., who help steer the church, but not exclusively. We all can steer the church through the conduit of unity. Everybody said amen. In our prayer, in our work, it takes more than one person to run the church. And I know that back in the 70s or 80s, and I remember kind of, I remember very well, the pastor was usually a one-man band. He did much of everything. The church I grew up in, you, you, you didn't, well, we'll leave that where it is. But I don't believe in that style of ministry. I want as many people on board as I can have. 
I want as many people participating as I can have. We need to learn how to steer the church around problems, around potholes, around distractions. We need to learn how to steer it into prayer and to revival and to sensitivity and to harvest and to keep it growing. And everybody say amen. And I believe we do that here at Grace Church. Our church has consistently grown since we've been in this building over the past eight years. I think we had 230-something Sunday. It's a long way from the 11 or 12 we started out with. So Paul concluded by saying in 1 Corinthians 12, 31, I've got to hurry because I'm out of time. But he said, covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. So what are the best gifts? The best gifts are those which enable an assembly to be edified at a particular time. And we need to understand that. There are times when somebody needs to rise to the occasion and say, you know what, I support the pastor. I believe in that vision. Yes, we're going to move the church forward. Yes, I believe in church growth. There's some times that people need to rise up on your tiptoes and shout real loud, hey, I'm into this. Let's do it. Let's move forward. I heard that, by the way. I've been wanting to tell you folks this now for the past couple of weeks, and the services have run away, and I had not had an opportunity to do it. Uh, but in our last business meeting, uh, those that were here voted unanimously and boldly and loudly to build a dorm at the campground. Actually, to build two of them at the campground. I think that ought to do a little something-something out of you people. <clears throat> but this is where... If there's a great idea or if there's a great opportunity and that moment needs to be seized when you earnest or seek after the best gifts as what can edify an assembly at a particular time. So you stand up real quick and you say, hey, I'm for this or I'm going to do this. That's what that means. Our church would definitely benefit from helps and governments. However... Many people want their gifts to be the ones that get noticed. And there are many times an artificial division between those who help or work and those who govern or direct spiritually hurts the church and it's a frustration to ministry because you're pulling in two different directions. Many people secretly feel that everyone else should think, feel, act, and become involved in church ministries exactly like they do. That don't happen either. We have people that are at the church quite a bit. Uh, uh, and then we have other people that we hardly ever see at the church. But that doesn't mean that one is more valuable or is participating more than the other. It just depends on what your gifting is and what it is you're doing. So, in conclusion, I want to share with you something that is so ridiculous, but it illustrates the point, and I'm concluding with this. I'm going to tell you a parable titled The Animal School. Everybody say The Animal School. Okay. A group of animals decided to improve their general welfare by starting a new school in which the curriculum consisted of running, climbing, flying, and swimming. All of the animals took all of the subjects. The duck was good at swimming and fair and flying, but he was terrible in running. So he was made to drop the swimming class and stay after school to practice running. He kept this up until he was only average at swimming, 
but average was acceptable. The others, including the teacher, were no longer threatened by the duck's swimming abilities, so everyone felt more comfortable in swimming except the duck. The eagle was considered to be a problem student. For instance, in climbing class, he could beat all of the others to the top of the tree, but he insisted on using his own method of getting there. He had been severely disciplined, and finally, because of his non-cooperation in swimming, he was expelled from the school for insubordination. The rabbit started at the top of the class and running, but was woefully inadequate in other areas. Because of so much makeup work in swimming, he had a nervous breakdown and had to drop out of the school completely. The turtle was a failure in almost every course offered at the school. His shell was considered to be the leading cause of his failure, so it was removed. Did this help his running a bit? It did, but sadly he became the first casualty of the new curriculum when he was stepped on by a horse. The fault with this kind of diverse and divisive thinking lies with both parties, the spiritual who are waiting for their chance in the spotlight and won't work, and the workers who back off of the spiritual areas just because of a few extremists. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, Nay, much more these members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable Upon these we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. Philip Tran said, The parts which we do not look beautiful, which do not look beautiful, have a deeper beauty in the work they do. So let me ask you tonight, how important is your hand? How important is your hand? Okay, how important is your heart? You understand that? You can do without your hand. You can't do without your heart. And this fits the Mary and Martha story. You know, some fruit can only be brought forth in the shade. So everyone in the church is important. Mary, Martha was the worker. She got distracted from Jesus when the cares of the physical realm got too heavy. But Mary was the worshiper who got distracted when, from Jesus when the cares of the spiritual realm got too heavy. At the death of Lazarus, Martha went to meet Jesus, then had to return to the house and get Mary. That's interesting, isn't it? Bottom line, folks, the bigger the team, the more impact a church can have on its community. It's the old principle that says 20% of your time yields 80% of your results, and 20% of your people do 80% of the work, and 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. And I agree with that. So the apostle said in Acts chapter 6 in conclusion, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. It doesn't mean that pastor's not busy. And I do a lot of work at home. You can ask Sister Murph. I work a lot at home. I have an office at home just like I do here. And I do a lot of my prayer and study time at home. I can wear my jammies and drink my coffee and I don't have to worry about one of you dropping in on me. but I do it at home. I spend hours, hours every week preparing for this pulpit every Wednesday and every Sunday. And it's hard when you don't have anyone to help you. It's hard to keep the focus on this. 
and not be distracted by the other. So I appointed a ministry team. I told somebody here a while back, I don't baptize people anymore. And they said, really? I have other people that do that. Oh, that's what you mean. It's not that I don't believe in it. I'm just, I have men that are willing to do it, and, they, and they're amazing, and I deeply appreciate and, and thankful for that. I don't teach the adult Bible class. I haven't done that in years. We have people that are qualified to do that, well capable of doing that. I don't have to. I think it's smart. I learned a long time ago, I don't work hard, I work smart. There's nothing wrong with that. And I do have to squeeze in time now and then to ride my motorcycle. I've got to keep my priorities straight, and you folks just have to understand that. But I know a lot of folks have the idea that pastor does nothing. You have no clue what I do. And the hours that I spend every week to keep this church moving in a forward direction. And I could not do it without the amazing, amazing help. Again, production booth people, office people, uh, and all the people I've named. We have amazing people. So I thank you for all of you that help in every way that you do. I thank all of you that help. Our serve teams, our serve team leaders, you folks do an amazing job. And, and, and I tried, I've tried my best through the years to build this church after the book of Acts pattern. We have a long ways to go. There's another huge step that I hope one day we can make. Um, and that's going from house to house with the word of God. We call them small groups. Uh, we hope to get there one day. But until that day comes, we're going to do the best we can having everybody meet at this spot. But we want everybody to be involved, everybody to contribute. And everybody that contributes, only if you think it's a little. And don't ever forget that little boy that brought those five loaves of bread and those couple of fish. Don't ever forget that little boy. He turned that world upside down, and people are still talking about that to this day. So where you think what you have is small and insignificant, all of you people collectively made this service that we had this past Sunday happen. Everybody collectively made that happen. We created an environment, gave God an environment where he could move, and it worked, did it not? So I hope you all understand and understand our style of ministry here. We want everybody involved. We want everybody to participate. You get the point, I hope. So God bless you. Thank you. Stand up. I went eight minutes over for those of you that like to keep track. But it is still not 830. So even though I'm eight minutes over, we're still dismissing five minutes early. So I don't want to hear it. And besides that, you didn't get anything from me Sunday. So you're lucky it's this short. I'm teasing. I love you folks. I love Grace Church. I love the heartbeat of this church, the vision, the direction it's going. And I thank all of you for everything that you give, every dollar you give, every minute that you spend uh, for Grace Church. It's working. Let's keep it up. Let's keep moving forward. What do you say? Everybody say amen. amen. That's good enough. You're dismissed. And we will see you Sunday with your shouting shoes on. And we'll try to preach this coming Sunday, Lord willing, or we'll have preaching this Sunday. God bless you in Jesus' name.